What's up? This is Cobra Page from Cobra and the Lotus, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, it's Tommy Thayer from KISS, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks right now. Hey, this is Rachel Bone from Skid Row, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks. Welcome to episode 196 of the Iron City Rocks podcast, coming to you from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I am your host, John. Episode 196, we have two bands that are both putting out new releases this week, actually, both on April 16th. We have joining us from the band Skid Row, Rachel Bolin, bassist extraordinaire to talk about the new album, United World Rebellion, Chapter 1. And then we have a new kind of up-and-coming band, out of Canada, uh, we have Cobra and the Lotus. So joining us is vocalist Cobra Page. So we'll get to her just a little bit. I want to talk about the new Skid Row. Uh, it's actually an EP, uh, five songs. Uh, and as you'll hear in the interview, I, I hearken it to Slave to the Grind, uh, which is many of you who would follow Skid Row know that the first Skid Row album, uh, very much in style with a lot of the music that came out in that era, uh, radio friendly. I remember you, eighteen in life. Obviously, huge, huge hits. I had an opportunity to see them on that tour. A fantastic live band, but boy, did they turn it up a notch with "Slave to the Grind" uh, and really put a fresh coat of paint on their sound, uh, much heavier. Uh, and I think it gave them a lot of longevity and credibility. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people, metalheads, uh, will say "Slave to the Grind" is still a really cool album, and a lot of people who liked hair metal will, you know enjoy it as well so um really uh, i think a landmark album in their career and probably their finest this album to me has a lot of uh, the same feel slave to the grind the same raw attitude um, they are now fronted by singer johnny solinger uh sebastian bach obviously has been doing a solo thing for the better part of 20 years uh with no reunion in sight and, and honestly listening to this album that's just fine because sebastian's material on its own is fantastic and this Skid Row, uh, honestly, this is the best stuff I think they've done in 20 years. So this is kind of a win-win, in my opinion. So what we're going to do, we're going to play a song from that new EP. This is called Kings of Demolition. We're going to talk to Rachel Bullen. The bullied and the bullied offended with can't believe what you've been Free! 
Rachel Bolin on the line. How you doing, Rachel? I'm doing real well, man. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, just had an opportunity to listen to the new EP, uh, which comes out uh, very shortly here in, in uh, April, United World Rebellion Chapter 1. You talk a little bit about uh, the writing for the album. It's a slamming EP. Yeah, uh, thank you. It, um, we I know a lot of bands say this sounds kind of cliche, but we really dug dug deep and uh, to find our roots again, you know, because uh, just over the past, it happens to every band. Sometimes you just get, get separated from where you came from. And uh, yeah. Snake and I, when we wrote, we worked really hard on being Skid Row again. Yeah. You know, we got experimental with the last record, and every band needs to do one of those. Sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't. But mm -hmm. we um, we really concentrated hard on, on what made us right the way we did in the past. And, um, it, uh, it, it was more of a natural prog progression than I'm making it out to be. But, uh, yeah, when we write, we are really specific and meticulous and we, we rewrote a couple of these songs three or four times. Mm -hmm. And, um, just in the changing world uh, of music, we went the EP route so yeah. that we could concentrate hard on five songs and we'll release uh, three EPs in six, six to seven seven month intervals. So uh, we're really excited about it, and um, the, the, it's been getting great reaction. Yeah. And playing it live has been great reaction as well. So we're stoked. Yeah, I, I have to say, I mean, as, as a person who's followed your career, I, I think I saw you guys in your first go through Pittsburgh with Aerosmith. Um, so I've been around, you know, around the block, and to me, this sounds almost like kind of a natural progression from Slave to the Grind. Was was that kind of the mindset you guys were in as far as you know when you when you say when you define the classic Skid Row sound is Slave to the Grind kind of what you would your mark? That that's definitely part of it, you know. Um, and it's it's great to hear you say that because it seemed that everyone that has heard the stuff said it kind of picks up where Slave to the Grind left off, which yeah. is a great thing. And um, we uh, we weren't purposely trying to uh, do that but like I said right. we were trying to find our roots again sure and um, this these are the five songs that have come out of that now you mentioned three EPs in this period of time is there is a bit of theme to it as you know this one's called chapter one or there, is there going to be kind of a commonality in lyrical content yeah I'm sure there will be and um, it's funny Snake and I were talking I go what if our whole career has been a concept album <laughs> you know what I mean and because we've always been that band uh, a very blue collar band and uh always seemed to not shy away from a uphill fight you know sure. and um that that's kind of is is our background you know and and uh, this is a continuation of that and it's just it's just spanning globally now and yeah. it's really cool because there uh, if you go on twitter you see a bunch of uh, sectors popping up and it's almost like fan clubs slash street teams that are taking upon themselves to start up their own sectors. And there's like United World Rebellion sector Singapore and <laughs> York City and Atlanta and Toronto and, you know, Brazil and Argentina, Ukraine. They're popping up everywhere. And it's a really, really cool thing. And it, yeah. it, it, from being in the band, it's, it makes you feel really good when you see people getting so involved in wanting to see you do good and getting the whole meaning behind it, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can, you can sense a bit of a lyrical theme to it and, you know, a real freshness. And one of the things I think that's always helped Skid Row is that they were a band 
well, I shouldn't say Euro band, that really kind of transcended the era. You know, I, I think a lot of bands that, you know, maybe debuted in 1989 were kind of lumped together, you know, as hair bands. But I think the fact that you guys had a very commercially successful album, but then kicked the door in with your second release and, and really appealed to more metalheads has given you guys a lot of credibility, I think, you know, maybe if some other bands from the era didn't have long term. I, I would agree to that for sure. You know, um, we, we, we came from a, a punk rock and a metal background, you know? Yeah. And I think, um, it, it, like, we're so proud of that first record, and it still sells more than any of our records. Sure. Uh, still do. And, um, we're really proud of it. But yeah, we, um, as we went on, it just got, you know, heavy. Not super heavy, but sure. heavier. A lot of the bands that uh, came out at the same time, they kind of stayed, you know, on the poppier side of things, where we just naturally went into a heavier, more punk type of thing. Yeah, which I mean, that formula worked. You know, you know, look at what Pantera did. Um, exactly. It certainly made. Plus, you know, a lot of I think a lot of bands in the 1991-92 started to chase the trend of the day. You know, I'm not gonna name names, but some bands that made some albums trying to fit what was, you know, contemporary at the time that really failed miserably, where you guys just kind of flew your own flag and, and you know, I think it, it earned a great deal of respect. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you guys hooked up with Megaforce? Um, Missy Colazzo has been a friend of ours for, wow, uh, uh, 28 years. And um, Snake has known the Zazulas when they owned Megaforce, and they own a store called Rock and Roll Heaven up in Sayreville, New Jersey, uh, where Snake grew up, and he's known them forever. And, um, you know, uh, Snake had brought up Megaforce, and he goes, you know, Missy is president of Megaforce now. I had not known that, so I'm like, wow, let's, let's uh, bring the demo to her, and she listened to it on one listen. She called, and she's like, let's do this, yeah. you know. Yeah. And then, um, so they're, they're taking care of North America and then we're, we're on. And we got great label mates in Anthrax and Bad Brains and, yeah. uh, I think the Black Crows, I'm not sure. But, um, you know, and then we signed with the rest of the world. We signed with UDR Music, which is a bunch of people that used to be at SPV, yeah. a label that we were on. Yeah. And now we, we have label mates in the likes of Motorhead and Richie Blackmore and stuff like that. So yeah. we're in good company at both labels and we're yeah. very psyched about it. No slouch. Uh, Rachel, let me ask you this, because, I mean, you play in, in a five-piece band with two guitars, yet um, your bass is very easily, you know, you can pick it out very easily. Is that something you, you intentionally do when you write your bass parts, or is it a matter of, of gear or EQs in the mix, or how, how do you get your tone to kind of shine through? Um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I'm always there for the mix, and and every, everyone agrees that, the bass... The, okay, let me start with my influences. Uh, people sure. like Paul McCartney and Dennis Dunaway from Alice Cooper's mm -hmm. band and Gene Simmons and Graham Maybe from the original Joe Jackson band. These are all guys that knew when to lay back, when yeah. not to step on the melody, and then when to create melody with their bass. And so they always had a tone. Um, Mike Dern from uh, Green Day, another guy, he has such a tone Absolutely. that just cuts it like... Uh, complements what the song is doing. That's kind of my mindset, and um, I'm into like you know just my McCartney influence and Gene Simmons influence of walking bass lines. So um, 
you know, I just kind of came upon a tone one day that, that seemed to cut, but didn't get in the way of things. Yeah. And I, I stuck with it ever since. Yeah, well, it works. Now, uh, can you talk a little bit about, you've done some studio work with uh, Stone Sour. Can you talk about how you, you kind of came in contact with those guys? Yeah, that was that was a that was a surprising phone call. I had met Corey real briefly at um, at a festival in North Carolina called Carolina Rebellion, mm-hmm. and uh, we spoke maybe five minutes, just kind of mutual admiration society type of stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, he's like, "All right, man, well, we're going up in a little bit. Hope I see you on the side of the stage." So that's that's where we went, and we watched the show from there, and. Uh, I was with our drummer, uh, Rob Hammersmith, and we were like, man, this band's intense. You know, I'd never seen them live, but I, I always liked them. And, um, yeah, uh, I, one morning I see my phone, my phone rings, and I look at it, it says Des Moines, Iowa. And, and uh, it was Corey. And he had asked, he goes, hey, man, I want to ask you. He goes, I don't know if you know or not, but um, we parted ways with John. And, uh, we were in the studio, getting ready to go in the studio, and, and we already had demos done and, and uh, all that, and we would like you to play bass on the record. Are you interested? And I go, when do I have to be there? <laughs> yeah, what, what time, yeah. Yeah, because I have so much respect for those guys as writers and as mm-hmm. musicians, and um, like I said, I'm a fan of the band. And um, he goes, I go, how many songs? He goes, well, 23. <laughs> yeah. And I go, okay, when do you need me there? He goes, uh, two weeks. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I need this music now so I can get started. So, and, and we had shows and, and we had stuff we were writing as well. Sure. So in between everything, I kept learning songs and, you know, they had all these crazy tunings and stuff. And, uh, with Skid Row, we're pretty basic tuning. Yeah. So I, I had to learn all kinds of stuff and, but it was a great experience. I, I believe it, it, made me a better player, yeah. and um, I had so much fun with those guys, it was ridiculous. The, the, like, the the atmosphere in the studio was so laid back. It, it, I mean, it was a daunting task, man, and, and even the producer, David Petrell, you know, he got a guy that worked with Muse and won three Grammys, and I'm yeah. like, wow, this, how's this going to go? Because I, I consider myself pretty laid back. And he was so cool, and, you know, we still we speak every now and then, and... and um, Hopefully, I'll be working on more stuff with David. And it was just such a great experience. And just the just the respect that we showed for each other and they showed for Skid Row, it, it was amazing. And I had such a good time with those guys and incredibly talented. Yeah, now, did you have to um, come up with the bass parts or were they already written and you just had to, you know, kind of get them right? Well, that's funny because I think Roy played bass on most of the stuff. And that's what I had asked. The guys, I go. Do you want me to get this down? They're like, pretend there's no bass lines on there because they mixed the bass really low when they sent me the demos purposely. And um, I go, are you sure you want me to just come up? On? And they're like, yeah. And as David Patrol would put, it, he's like, bolonize it. <laughs> and I was like, all right. So that's what I did, and and uh, they were all really happy with it, which made me feel good. You know, they right. They were pleased, so uh, that, that pleased me. And just a bunch of us lived at the studio. I, I had a room, uh, Jim had a room, um, and Roy had a room. And so there was always music playing. Everyone had amps in their room, and Roy had the keyboards and synths, and I would hear stuff till 4 in the morning, like synth parts. Sometimes i get up, and i just stand in his door, and I was like, man, dude, that's going to sound cool, you know? And uh, 
you hear me playing bass, or you know, we're right across the hall from each other. So it was uh, it was a very creative atmosphere. And, and Corey and um, and Josh lived close to the studio within like a half an hour, so they stayed at home with their families. But other than that, we just I, it was just a ball, man. I had a ball. Yeah. Now, um, you guys are going to be hitting the road, or, or what were the touring plans for the for the album? We are actually on the road. I'm calling you from the UK right now. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm in uh, Leeds. We have a day off, and uh, I plan to go to try to find if it's still standing where the Who recorded live at Leeds and get a picture in front of it. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, we're we're uh, we just had four shows in a row in the UK. We okay. had a day off. We have five more ending in London, and then we fly to the Czech Republic. Okay. We have two shows there, flying home the 17th, and then we have a show in California in Tucson on the 19th and 20th. Fly back to Atlanta, go back into the studio to record some songs, and then uh, I think we have about a week and a half off before we head to Honduras and Mexico and Costa Rica and stuff like that. Yeah, now are you going to be doing the States pretty heavy in the summer, or is that still to be determined? Um, we have a lot of shows in. If people want to find out, it's on uh, on our Facebook page, the okay. official page, and it's also on skidrow.com. And as, as they come in, we uh, post them. Okay. Now, you, um, aside from Skid Row, have done, you know, you, we talked about Stone Sour, but you've done a lot of production work and work with uh, ESPN. So can you talk a little bit about how you got into, you know, the studio and the engineering production side of things? Um. You know, I always love doing that. It's it's a different type of creating, obviously, and I love um, working with bands that I think I could help. You know what I mean? And think it, this is the first thing I do when I, I get with a band. I'll go to a rehearsal and I'll ask them for music. Usually, I I'll see the band first, and then if they approach me to do stuff uh, and if I like them I'll definitely work with them and if I understand the band if it's a type of music that I don't understand I think it would just hinder the whole project if, sure. if I went in there and tried to tried to produce it you know but a lot of times I'll work with the band and uh, the first thing I say is like I'm going to shoot ideas at you guys all day long my feelings will not be hurt if you don't like them but at mm -hmm. least try them mm -hmm. and um you know that's how that's how I start. And when we our, our first couple albums, um, we got to work with Michael Wagner, who's still still a dear friend of mine. And sure. He, um, I learned so much just sitting in the room with that guy, like his approach to stuff. And he he knows how to engineer as well. I know very little about how to do that stuff. But okay. He, he's like the mad scientist. Mm -hmm. you know, he knows he knows every end. But from a production standpoint. He would take a good song and make it great, and he always let the band be the band. He never got in the way of the band's sound or the band's attitude because he thought this would be more radio-friendly or he thought his idea was better. It was never like that with Michael, right. and, and that taught me so much on how to work with musicians. Yeah, it's always interesting to see guys you know, who, who came through as young artists and made albums who took the time to learn the craft of, of making music that can, you know, turn it into a career. So, you know, so many people come and, you know, had the two, three albums and the platinum success in the 80s and then ended up doing something totally outside of music. But it's always fascinating to see people who kind of got, you know, either the business end of it or, you know, the creative process. Uh, so it's interesting to see, you know, a lot of young musicians, I think, should take take a lesson from that. You know, yeah, I agree. I agree. It, um, it, it's funny. I, I just, 
You know, I've worked with bands and things have gone together really easy. And, you know, there's always turmoil with bands. There's, you know, that's just the lifeblood of a band. Everyone, you know, egos are a little bigger than most people. And, and that's just how we are. You get really passionate about an idea and you don't want to give up on it. Sure. Or you, I should say you don't want to let it go. And, um, you know, my job is sometimes was to be the referee. And yeah. Like, hey, guys, you know, at the end of the day, you're only doing better for the song. Maybe you could use your idea in a different song, you know, and, and uh, it, it always seems to work. And, and like you said, being from being a musician and being having that experience, because I, I remember doing the first record, there were ideas. I'm like, nope, that has to be in there. Didn't yeah. want to budge, didn't want to budge. Then we tried the other way. I was like, yep, that idea is better, you know, your idea is better. So, yeah, it, uh, yeah, I think it's a lot like when you have a coach who, you know, an NFL coach who's been a player. I think sometimes you get some respect. Just from that, you know, they're like, this, you know, this guy knows what he's done. You have what three platinum albums under your belt, so yep. you know, it's you know, I think that's going to bring some credibility right in the door. Well, Rachel, I want to thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Uh, the new album comes out, uh, I believe, it's April 16th in the U.S. If I'm not in North America, yep, North right. America. Mm-hmm. So we'll be looking for that, and then the rest of the world gets it uh, shortly thereafter. But I want to thank you so much for your time, man. You got it. Thanks, dude. Have you ever listened to an album and thought to yourself, man, I could do so much better than that? Well, here's your chance. My name is Sue, and I've decided to write my next album live and online at RageAndApathy.com. So come on over, leave me a comment, and tell me what you think about the album and where you think it should go. And as a bonus for you Iron City rockers out there, I will give you an exclusive copy of the first song as soon as I get it finished. So stop on over to RageAndApathy.com and join my madness. Hey, what's happening? This is Phil with Machine Head, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Yeah! All right, that was uh, Skid Row, uh, Rachel Boland. I want to thank him for coming on the show. Uh, big fan of his bass playing. Uh, if you heard on the uh, track that we played, really, really cool bass sound. really pops in the mix. Uh, kind of reminds me of, you know, like a Steve Harris or something when you can, you can actually hear the bass, which I miss in a lot, a lot of music. So it was really cool. I'm going to switch gears now to a, a new band uh, out of Toronto. At least the singer is out of Toronto. As we get into the interview, the band is really all over North America now uh, with its members. This is a band that is on Simmons Records, uh, which is an imprint of Universal, uh, headed by Gene Simmons, uh, which is kind of his stamp of quality on a band, which, as you can imagine, uh, opens a few doors. Uh, this is a band called Cobra and the Lotus. Um, Cobra Page is the vocalist. Uh, there is no one named Lotus in the band. Uh, but they are kind of a throwback to that kind of classic heavy metal, uh, which has become pretty popular. I, I know we've had a lot of bands on the uh, show over the years, like Icarus Witch uh, and some bands like that, that have a modern band with a kind of a classic metal sound. It's become quite popular. And frankly, as for an old-timer like myself, I really enjoy it because I'm not a big fan of the death growl and some of the things that are uh, kind of prevalent in some of the modern metal. So it's great to hear vocalists who can sing and have a sense of melody. Uh, so this is Cobra and the Lotus. We had a chance to speak with Cobra out recently. Uh, they are on tour with Fear Factory. Unfortunately, uh, Fear Factory is not coming to the Pittsburgh market, but they are blanketing the U.S. So uh, if you have the opportunity to see Fear Factory, love the fact that they have taken out a band like Cobra and the Lotus that have 
no similarity style wise um I always love to go to see a show when you get a mix of stuff, you know, so that was really cool. So before we get into the interview, let's play a little of their most current single. This is called 50 Shades of Evil from Cobra and the Lotus. Vocalist Cobra, how are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you? Doing fantastic. Uh, you guys are about to hit the road with uh, Fear Factory. Uh, yeah, tomorrow. Uh, and I wanted to, you know, get in touch, uh, kind of introduce your music to our audience. Um, you know, you guys have a fantastic album out. Um, can you talk a little bit about the origins of the band and where you guys come from? I know you're from from up north in Canada. Yeah, um, this actually has become quite an eclectic group of people by this point, but originally we were based out of Calgary, Canada. Okay. And uh, that was that was five years ago when that started. And we've had some new players join the group, and now actually we go as far south as Lima, Peru. Oh, okay. And we have a new guitar player that comes from there. So we're kind of uh, from all around Canada. Our bass player is from the east coast of Canada, and... We, the three of us are from Alberta, and Charlie's from Lima, so now we're a little bit of a global band. Yeah, certainly at least all of North America at that point. That's fantastic. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Um, Now, you guys um, started out in, the in what was it, 2009, you had started the band? Yeah. Okay, and for those not familiar, I mean, you guys have been kind of compared to... Uh, a lot of the um, new wave of British heavy metal bands, and, and also I even hear some influences of more modern, you know, power metal. Is is that kind of the stuff you cut your teeth on growing up? Um, yeah, for sure. When we uh, when I first started this project, it was really based on making a, a heavy traditional heavy metal band that didn't really fall into a niche. It was just straight up metal mm-hmm. uh, with no no exact title. And so I guess um, for me, it started with Judas Priest which makes sense when you say what you uh, think the influences came from. Yeah, I mean, it can all start and end with Rob Halford. That's that's no disgrace there. Oh, for sure. Yeah, now, um, when when you started singing, um, were you, are you a trained vocalist, i.e., did you take singing lessons, or did you just kind of a, one of those people that are gifted in that regard? I did take singing lessons, actually. For eight years, I did classical music and studied operatic um, singing and uh, also theory and classical piano. So it started with classical roots in the beginning. Um, and now I guess I bring some of those techniques into what I do, but I don't I don't sing exactly that style anymore, that's, that full opera sound. Let me, let me ask you this, because that's a kind of interesting question. Like When you're studying 
classical, you know, uh, you know, we we know of a lot of, of artists who've come from that world, like a Jeff Tate, for example, of Queensrÿche. But I, I mean, do do people in that world admire, look down upon you know, guys like a Ronnie James Dio? Is there some admiration there, or is it just not in that world at all? I'm actually not sure. I I don't feel like I could answer that um, okay. because I I wouldn't know. Uh, I think to a certain degree, um, part of that world maybe wouldn't even maybe they wouldn't even know about those singers yeah. if they're not into metal you know yeah but i would i would think that they would respect it for sure i saw, remember seeing um a, an article come out on uh, a professor from juilliard looking mm-hmm. at an opera singer and then looking at the voice of rob helford and mm-hmm. bruce dickinson and seeing how they compared uh the vocal technique and mm-hmm. um there were so many similarities, and it was a very respectfully written article. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine that it would be something that people would think positively upon, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Because I think also uh, in metal, there there's also a lot of untrained singers that just, yeah, come right out with it and just have this amazing voice. And I think that's pretty admirable that they've figured out their breath support all by themselves and how yeah. to work that instrument. Yeah, I often just wondered about the crossroads. I, I know as a person who's seen Dickinson and, and Halford and, and people like that, I've also seen Pavarotti live. And, and there's yeah. a lot of, you know, I mean, take with, you know, maybe the music styling isn't the same, but the the, the instrument of, of the human voice is still similar in that regard. And, and you look at, like, Paul Stanley, who did the Phantom of the Opera for a brief period of time, I had the opportunity to see that. And, and, and it transcends oh, wow. very, very well. You know, yep. Just kind of curious. Now the um speaking of Paul Stanley that'll kind of segue into uh <laughs> how how you guys came to be, you know, um where you're at today. You've had some some dealings with Simmons, uh, Gene Simmons. Can you talk just a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. Gene came into the picture um 2 years ago and that was crazy. We uh we had this A&R representative from Universal Canada following us for a while. And when Simmons came in to start Simmons Records, it was just with Canada. Okay. And so he was looking for something Canadian, but he hadn't found it yet. Um, he um, had the MV. That was the first project. And then he was just searching for the next thing. And when we brought this second album to Mark... Spickaluck from Universal, he thought it was something that Gene would really enjoy. So he took it to Gene, and Gene jumped on board before he saw us live. He just was uh, interested on, in the music right away and sent um, or phoned our manager. And uh, we were actually on tour in the U.K., and she sent us the phone call. <laughs> and we were, we were listening to it. We were going to – we were just about to play in an hour, and we opened this email – and it was Gene saying he wanted Cobra and the Lotus. We're all looking at each other, thinking it was a cruel joke. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that, that could be an easy email that you could you could easily pan as just a gag. But, uh, oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, but, we thought it was a joke, uh, definitely. And then it definitely wasn't a joke when we came home. Um, it just was one thing after another, and mm-hmm. now he's part of our team, and it's uh, 
Yeah, that, it's that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that, that's uh, it is an amazing story. Um, now, had you guys as as a band performed a lot live? I know you've gone through some kind of lineup solidification, we'll call it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, since the time you started, and you had worked up in uh, Toronto at uh, or I'm sorry, in Calgary at Metalwork Studios. But had you guys performed as a, as a live unit a lot? We have done hundreds of live shows. Okay. Yeah. So. Really, over the last five years, all of us have uh, been playing live as much as possible just because it's the only way you can really grow, I think, is by doing it more and more, mm-hmm. um, or grow that performance and try and improve upon it. So, cool. yeah. Now, um, did you do, you know, what is the Cobra and the Lotus album? Was that done at Metalworks Studio as well, or was it just the, you know, the first Out of the Pit album that was done up there? Out of the Pit was just done at Metalworks. Okay. And the second debut album was done actually initially at a studio in um, Ontario called Yukasa. Okay. And then we took it to be remixed and mastered. And okay. four songs, new songs, were recorded and replaced other songs. Okay. Um, at the, uh, oh, at Kevin Churko's studio in okay. Las Vegas. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So that album is is the Cobra and the Lotus, which is now, you know, I guess technically your debut album, or at least in the United States. Is that album available now, or is that that is that forthcoming still? That's forthcoming, actually. Okay. It's available April sixteenth, so come oh, soon. Great, great, yeah. Yeah, I know. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I I know I had gotten the digital copy, so I wasn't exactly sure of the release date. Now, is yeah. Out of the Pit, are there some songs that were on Out of the Pit, or is that just all kind of older material now that, you know? No, or, that's all older material. Okay. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a pretty uh, distinct, um, it's a pretty distinctly different sound. Okay. Actually, if you listen to that album and this new one, um, but it's all different material. Right, okay. And then, I mean, it's obvious, it's been a, um, a little while since you, you you know kind of started on this album. Are you guys recording or, or writing material for another album now, or are you just going to kind of let this one you know let's get this one out and we'll worry about the next one down the road? We are we are working on new material. Okay. Because this album has been out for quite a while in other territories. And right. Yeah. yeah. Once it's out in um, North America, it'll be time to uh, bring another one into Back the picture. Not just late after yeah yeah now you guys are going to be hitting the road with fear factory which i i have to admit i really enjoy because it is kind of a diverse you know when i listen to your music fear factory isn't the first band that comes to mind but i i do kind of like that when bands tour with bands that aren't carbon copies of themselves not to say that me too yeah not to say that it wouldn't be cool to see you guys with like ice earth or something but mm-hmm. I, I enjoy the <laughs> diversity in a show uh, and that will take you to looks like early June. But um, do you guys have kind of firm plans for the summer? Or? Yeah, we do. Um, I I believe that we are doing this tour, and then we have some other tours, uh, another tour in tow. Uh, it okay. hasn't been announced yet, though, so I can't say anything. No, but that's okay. We have another um, tour coming up, and then studio time is going to take a pretty significant chunk. Okay. Out of the fall the early fall um so we are going into the studio to record new material mm-hmm. and then there hopefully there's another tour that is in fruition so we should be busy right up until december yeah so we've got a little break for christmas and then uh 
yeah. you'll be doing your 2014 touring schedule. Basically, uh, yeah. Now, uh, <laughs> Never I, ending. I'm kind of curious because a lot of times when we listen to you know bands that that have a um, you know that kind of classic metal sound, it seems to me that geographically certain areas of the world seem to gravitate more towards certain styles. Like um, you, you look at like Ice Earth, for example, a band that has you know tremendous success in parts of the world and and not quite as as big a success in in you know other parts of the world. Are there particular areas that that, that Cobra and the Lotus have been to that you would kind of say you know this is an area that we're kind of you know, solidified in globally? You know, that's an interesting question because we believed that in the beginning and we kept going to the UK. Mm -hmm. And then we branched out into Europe for the first time and went back there a second time. And uh, we kept thinking, oh, it's a a bigger market here for metal. And Mm -hmm. we really focused on the territories and it's been a great place for us. And we've, we've built up, uh, quite a base, especially in the UK, because we've spent more time there. Mm-hmm. But then we did this last States tour, this really brief one with Sonata Arctica yep. um, before the New Year, and we were we couldn't believe the, the way the people were, and we just thought, oh my God, now now we think everyone's great. We just we don't yeah. even know um, because those shows blew our mind. The people blew our mind. The energy yeah. and uh, the way they got excited. Yeah, that's got to be pretty special to be doing, you know, before you even technically have the album available to, to you know, to be getting that kind of response, which means you're doing yeah. it, means you're doing it right live. You know, I listen to this. I know I have some uh, friends in South America, and I listen to this album. I'm thinking this is probably you know just prime for a good South American tour when I listen to that. So that was kind of yeah. We have yet to get down there, yeah. but um, yeah, I'm see. just realizing though how much of a uh, global language, like especially metal, it just yeah. it's, it's really everywhere. It certainly is, yeah. That's, it mm. certainly is, and <clears throat> I think you guys are primed again. Uh, your debut album, uh, for all intents and purposes, Cobra and the Lotus, will be available as you said, April sixteenth in the United States. Um, I know you can order pre-order it on Amazon, um, and I'm assuming iTunes and all the places with Universal behind it and Gene Simmons, obviously. Um, I imagine it'll be available everywhere. Uh, that's <laughs> fantastic. And you're going to be hitting the road with Fear Factory, as I mentioned, so that'll be fantastic. And Cobra, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on the show. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. Together, Sticks, Mario Speedwagon, Ted Newton. Come take a ride on the Midwest Rock and Roll Express. May 19th at First Niagara Pavilion. Tickets on sale now at LiveNation.com or Ticketmaster Outlets. Hey, this is the Money Man. I got two tickets, but I'm taking everybody. And you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hang out and turn it up. All right, again, Cobra Page from Cobra and the Lotus. want to thank her and also Rachel Bolin. Uh, you can pick up both bands' new albums on the 16th of April, Cobra and the Lotus. That's a self-titled album available on Universal Simmons Records. And United World Domination from Skid Row, which is available on Megaforce. Uh, so I want to encourage you to check out both of those uh, fantastic albums. They'll both be on tour. The Skid Row will be back in the United States very soon. They're over in uh, Europe right now. Cobra and the Lotus, as I mentioned, will be hitting the road with Fear Factory. So plenty of opportunities over the next several months to see both bands. 
uh, and have a good time seeing them as well. So I want to invite you to check us out, ironcityrocks.com, facebook.com forward slash ironcityrocks, twitter.com forward slash ironcityrocks, available on iTunes, in the iTunes app store, you can get Iron City Rocks Connect. Uh, so there's plenty of ways to be in touch with us, uh, to enjoy the show on the go. Uh, we're on Spreaker now, so if you want to check us out there, uh, you can email us at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. Also, we invite you to check out our sister podcast, The Heavy Metal Book Club. Heavymetalbookclub.com is probably the easiest way to find it. It's also available on iTunes. Just released episode three, which is an interview uh, with the author of a cool new book called The Merciless Book of Metal Lists, which is really uh, about a 200-page book on just cool countdowns, you know, coolest album cover in metal, coolest, you know, Megadeth songs. I mean, it's got just all kind of cool stuff that you can argue with your buddies. Uh, so it's a lot of fun. Uh, so check that out, heavymetalbookclub.com, or you can search for it in the iTunes store as well. Also invite you to check out castironring.com. Iron City Rocks is part of the brotherhood of podcasts known as the Cast Iron Ring. Bring you eight of the coolest music and hard rock related shows on the net. Everything from extreme metal to gear. Uh, some really great content uh, going up on that site. So castironring.com. Also check that out. Facebook.com forward slash castironring. Until next time, I want to thank you so much for listening. Yeah.